Good morning. We're studying the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we break that list down, look, it really love heads the list. And love is what God asks of us, that we would love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And when we look at the list, it really seems to be in order to do love, we need to be able to do two different things. We have to be able to exhibit godly responses. But not just that, it seems we need to learn to inhibit ungodly reactions. So in order to do love, we have to learn to do two things. And I stress the word learn. We need to learn to exhibit godly responses. But in order to do that, we have to learn, and I stress learn, to inhibit ungodly reactions. Um, God will not simply make us want to be kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-control. I wish that was the case, but it is not. In order to be the people God wants us to be, we have to travel a pathway. We have to learn to exercise joy, peace, and patience. And those fruit seem to be more about inhibiting natural reactions. Um, If we just review a little bit, if we look at joy, joy is the light at the end of a tunnel. It's a woman in childbirth thinking about the child that will be born and dealing with the pain and discomfort because of the joy that she understands will be coming when the process is complete. So joy has to do with dealing with difficult things, with walking through a dark tunnel, knowing that you're walking towards a light. We talked about peace. Peace is calm in the midst of a storm. It's not the absence of a storm. It's when you're going through a storm and learn that you can grip onto the peace of God in the midst of a storm. And now we come to patience. And patience, we're going to see, is where the rubber meets the road. It, that it really seems to be a place in this list. Love, joy, peace, and patience begins to turn the focus away just from vertical considerations between us and God, and it starts to point us away towards our relationship with others. And that's what we'll see. Patience is kind of where the rubber meets the road, and we'll describe that And then we'll talk about that. But when you think about patience, what is patience? It's internal, external control in difficult circumstances. And this control or ability to manage is evidenced by delaying an action. If there were impatience, somebody does something and the reaction would cause this and so you might flash out. What patience is when you develop, when we develop over time an ability to have unwanted thoughts and feelings but yet not act on them, not to react. That's what it is. It's prolonged restraint of anger or agitation. And we're going to say this, there is no easy path to patience. There is no shortcut to patience. 
Patience is learned and developed as we deal with difficult things, which is good news and bad news. The bad news is if you're going to be patient, you're going to walk a winding road and there's going to be some difficult things. That's the bad news. The good news is if you're in a place now where you're struggling, where you're dealing with things that are difficult, don't imagine you're on the wrong road. Those whom God cares for when he wants to develop love, joy, peace, patience, it is non-negotiable to learn to live with unwelcome circumstances and unwanted feelings. And that process of learning to live with that is not easy. It's not easy. It is, we can talk about, there are some things though that can help us, certainly by understanding it's, it's, a, it's a path that Jesus walked. It's perseverance in bearing troubles and ills, slowness in avenging wrongs. Literally, the word patience is long-suffering. It comes from two Greek words, one meaning long and one meaning suffering. And again, it's not something that you smile about, but you learn over time to develop the capacity to react a little bit less. And that's possible over time. Um, there's a passage, uh, James talks about being, uh, let me see if I get that. Yeah. James talks about, this is what he says. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. James 5, it says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Do not grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Let's see if I have this. No. Okay. There is a... Um, James exhorts his readers to be patient and long-suffering. What he says, set your hearts on it. It's something that's not going to come naturally. To react is natural. When we don't get what we want, when we don't have what we want to have, do what we want to do, feel what we want to feel, and think what we want to think, we don't need to learn to react, to get angry or contemptuous of others or contemptuous of ourselves. That comes naturally. The ability to not react is something that's developed, and that seems to be what the fruit of the Spirit allows us to do. Uh, but it begins with setting your heart. And what James talks about is when we develop the ability to be patient, the way it is to reflect itself is not only an inward attitude, but it's an ability to not groan. And it just says not just groan, but not groan against others. And that's what James indicates. Patience is the ability for things to occur and not go, ah, against someone, grumble against someone. Um, how can we develop this kind of patience? It's a good question. How can we become long-suffering? We're going to look at two things. You have to get something and you have to give something. It involves getting Forgiveness. That's number one. Get forgiveness. And there's a parable that Jesus talked about that is really, in a nutshell, it's what the Bible talks about when it talks about being long-suffering. Um, let's, let's work our way through this parable. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. 
as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. There's a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and what he did is he's kind of like an audit. He reviewed how much servants owed him, and so what he would do, my records indicate that you owe X amount. He comes to this guy, there was a man who owed him 10,000 talents. This is an extraordinary amount of money. Herod the Great, who ruled over Israel at the time of Jesus, he had an annual tax revenue for the entire nation of 900 talents. This guy owes... Take the national tax need of Israel at the time, multiply it by 11, and that's how much this guy owes the king. Uh, the man is t- debt is 10 times the annual tax revenue for an entire nation. The crowd listening to Jesus would have gasped at the thought of having to pay such an inordinate, fantastic amount of money. And this guy says, be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, if you do the math, this doesn't really work out very well. They made about a denarius a day. And so if you if he needed to pay a denarius a day, maybe have that garnered from his wages, it would take him 14,000 years to pay off the debt. Be patient with me, and I'll pay back everything, even if I have to live to be 14,000 years old to do it. Not a very realistic proposal. Um, The servant's master does something that is literally unthinkable and unbelievable if you consider the amount of money. He chooses select all to this guy's debt and pushes delete. So this guy has no financial obligation hanging over his head. To forgive such a debt would cripple the nation of Israel at the time. And the, in Jesus' parable, it's an inordinate, inordinate amount of money, and the, the king um, cancels it. It signifies forgetting a debt of a considerable magnitude. And then what ends up happening, uh, again, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled, and let the servant go. So he's off. He's, he's free and clear. And, um, but the servant then demands the repayment of, um, well, look what happened. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And 100 denarii is with respect to maybe somebody who owes a billion dollars and he's forgiven the debt and then he runs into somebody who owes him a couple hundred bucks. That's kind of the the equivalent. It's that type of thing. Not a great amount at all. Uh, He grabbed, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what this man did. Be patient with me is this word. Be long-suffering with me. Don't make a rash decision. He asked for patience, and then this man asks him for the same thing. 
be patient with me. Just what he had asked the king. What he ends up doing, he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So the problem is, this guy got patience. He had forgiveness given to him, but he got it and didn't give it. And that seems to be the problem. Um, And there's a reaction when the other servants saw what had happened. They were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Uh, And then it goes on to finish this parable, and here's what Jesus says. So also my Father in heaven will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from the heart. You know what we're supposed to do? We're not supposed to just get forgiveness. We're supposed to give it. And that's what the point of this parable is. This guy gets forgiven this inordinate debt and goes out and is not willing to give forgiveness to somebody who inconvenienced him. Um, It's really, he doesn't do what the Lord's prayer tells us to do. Forgive us our debts just as we forgive our debtors. And apparently what's supposed to happen, we're supposed to both experience to get forgiveness and to give it. Um, that This guy didn't do that. So I guess what we can say then, it's possible to get forgiveness and not necessarily to give it. You know, when you think about this guy, he gets forgiven, and we've talked about this before. I don't really think it sinks in. You know, the king says... You're off the hook. And he goes, but he really doesn't sit and think about it. And if he had thought about it, he might have made a different decision. If he had thought about what just happened, he had spent so much time being in aware of this debt that the deep impact of not owing really didn't occur to him. And if he had, you know, and if I think of the, this, I wish I could go back in time and enter this or have somebody enter this parable. And this guy's about to go out and sit him down. Hey, listen, man, sit down. I want you to know what just happened. You've owed this unbelievable amount of money all this time, and I want you to know what the king just did. You are in the clear. He didn't restructure your payments. You don't have anything hanging over. Oh, no, I, I get that. No, I don't think you do. I don't think you do get it. It's possible that you have lived with this burden for so long that you really can't wrap your arms around what it means. Let's talk about it a little bit more. And then maybe little by little, he, oh man, you know, that's right. That's really true, isn't it? And that's what relative to, we'll talk about giving forgiveness, but don't skip over getting it. From a divine perspective, you know, it's not hard to see how this applies. We owe God obedience, but we haven't done what he asked us to do, and we have, have, have done what he asked us not to do. And what the gospel says is he takes your sin burden, pushes, select all, delete, pull up your record, the accounting, what you owe. 
What you didn't do that you should have done. What you did do that you shouldn't have. Checks the record. Believing if you understand what Jesus comes to do, you know what he does. Your, your record's clear. Your record's clear. God is not looking at you, waiting for you to do the thing that you didn't do or not do the thing that you did. And so that might feel, well, what? When you really think about it, let it sit in your head. That feels like God letting us off easy. But you know what? That's where Christianity begins. You cannot, I want you to listen to me. Love is not possible until and unless we are able to embrace the good news and push away the fear of judgment. All of us at some level live with the fear of judgment. We never get rid of it completely, but to the degree we spend time thinking about what it means to be forgiven, let it sink down into our minds. What will happen slowly, slowly, is that your heart will start to soften. You will become gentler with yourself. And when you become gentler with yourself, you will find the capacity to be a little bit kinder, good, gentle, self-controlled. It's possible, though, to get forgiveness and... um, not give it. Let's look at a guy who was able to give forgiveness from the heart. It's a story you know well, Joseph. Let's talk about giving forgiveness. Um, talks about Joseph when he had gone through all the, you know, you, you know the story. He's, he's thrown in a pit, and and then he gets sold into slavery, and then he kind of correctly interpreted this guy's dream and he blew him off. Then he, at some point in the power, he gets accused of rape and he didn't do it. He gets thrown back in prison, ends up being second in command in in Egypt. And his brothers then, there's a huge famine. They come to him and it's uh, his brothers then, in this verse, it's, it indicates that his brothers then came, threw themselves down before him when Finally, it was obvious they didn't know who he was right away, but then they come to, that's Joseph. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You know what this is a picture of? Being able to love and forgive your brothers from the heart. How in the world do you get to this place? You know, when you think of somebody who does something against you, if you reach into your heart and and pull out, I don't pull out a steaming pile of forgiveness. (laughs) How do you get to this place? Um, Joseph, there's a couple of things here. He was able to see you intended it for evil. But God intended it for good. And we've talked about this before, but it's really critical. You know what Joseph could see? He saw what his brothers did. He didn't forgive and forget. Oh, let me see. I forget. What did you do to me again? He was really clear about what they did. But what was happening, he saw that 
But what he also saw? The pile of food in Egypt. And he saw people getting food and being fed. And you know what he did? He did the math. His good trumped your bad. That's what he saw. You intended to harm me, but he caused it to work together for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. If you feel victimized by someone, they did something to you and you'll never recover, it's going to be very difficult to forgive that person because they connected you to bad and they disconnected you from good. I have a question. Is it possible for anyone to disconnect you from God's good? To think about it. Anyone. They can hurt your feelings. Can they disconnect you from God's good? It might not feel good. It might not feel good. You might not be happy about what's happening. Can someone disconnect you. You are connected to God through faith in Christ. God is connected to good. You, God, good. Can anyone disconnect you from God? No. If, if he sent his son to die while we were sinners, is there anything that can disconnect you? The answer is no. Okay. You, God, God, good. Is there anything that disconnects God from good? No. If you're connected to God, you are connected to good. That's what Joseph was able to see. That he, his brothers didn't have the ability to, to get in the way. And just, and you know, the verse is what it says. To those who love him, I want you to listen. To those who love him, God causes all things to work together for good. To those called according to his purpose, all things, even hurtful things. It doesn't mean that you don't, in fact, it does mean that you grieve. But you grieve not as one who is disconnected from Good. Uh, there is something here as we try to think of how was Joseph able to pull this off? I want you to see something that we're going to back it up a little bit and look at a prior encounter, the first encounter with Joseph and his brothers. Joseph could no longer control himself before his all his attendants. He cried, have everybody leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers for the first time. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Now I'm going to suggest that Joseph learned to pour out his heart to God in sadness. When we're victimized by someone, mad, bad, and glad are very easy to feel. It's hard to feel sad. You know what you need to feel sad? 
you need to develop the ability to be sad. And what Joseph apparently was able to do over the course of his life, a lot of difficult things happened. You know what he learned to do? He learned to feel sad and to tell God about it. That's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. I was sitting in, I forget how many years ago, maybe six or seven years ago. I think I told you this before, probably. Um, Then I was talking to somebody on the phone, and they said, you seem sad. Okay, yeah, I didn't talk a lot about it, but then I thought about it. And then I was journaling, which I'm opt to do, and then I was in the middle of journaling, and you know what I realized I was journaling to do? I was journaling about promises that God gives me, but the reason I was thinking of them was so that I can push the sad away. And what occurred to me, I put the pen down, and I said, I naturally, and just it, it, when I feel sad, I need to push it away. And what occurred to me, you know what? I don't think that's what God wants. I think what he wants is for us to be able to feel sad and talk to him about it. That's what Joseph did. Something happened. It made him feel bad. And you know what he did? He didn't try to push the sad thought out of the way. He learned to cry out. That's an amazing thing. What occurred to me at the time, you know what? I got some work to do. I need to get to the place where I can feel an emotion like sadness and tell him about it rather than try to fix it. That's a very difficult thing. You know what we end up doing? I've said before, sad's hard for us because you need to experience sympathy and sovereignty in order to surface sadness. Sad is easier to feel if you are with somebody who has a really big heart and really big shoulders. You know, sometimes we grow up with somebody who had a really big heart, and they, they could accept our sadness, but they felt crushed by it because they weren't powerful enough to fix it. Some of us grew up in places where we had really powerful people, but their, their heart wasn't really in it, so they could fix it. The deal with God is we have both. Jesus has a big heart. He's the Son of God. He has experienced sadness. He's experienced all this stuff. So we not only have that, but the Father is sovereign. Sympathy and sovereignty. And what God would tell you about, tell us about this, tell us that he sympathizes with you. He's sovereign. The reason he tells you that is not so that you push your sad down. It's so you tell him. You'd express yourself to him. Learn to tell him. Ask him for wisdom and strength, but not push it down. That's really difficult. We tend to use mad, bad, and glad to bury sad. That makes sense to you? I see it in me. We use mad, bad, and glad to bury sad. And you know what God wants? He doesn't want you to bury it. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Tell you what, if Jesus 
needed to learn to be sad? It says he learned. I think we have some learning to do as well, don't we? Patience requires... Well, actually, I found a couple to end. found a couple things. How do, we, how do we wrap our arms around patience? found a couple things, kind of like think. Patience is, I like this, the calm acceptance that things can happen in a different order than the one you have in mind. That's, patience involves that. We have an idea of how we want things to happen. Patience is a difficult road, but you, it's, it leads to a calm acceptance that things can happen in a different order than the one you have in mind. Somebody else put it this way, and I like this. Patience is the road to wisdom. It is. It's, it's a road, there are no shortcuts. No shortcuts on the road to wisdom. Patience is the road to wisdom. As we talked about in the beginning, it really literally is. You know, we got love, joy, peace, patience, and then we'll, in the upcoming weeks, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are where the rubber meet the road. And you know what stands between love, joy, peace, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There it is right in the middle. Patience. Patience, non-negotiable. It's where the rubber meets the road spiritually. So what we do, we learn to get forgiveness, to express our heart so that we can learn. Please be gentle with yourself. We don't live in a time where it's very easy to be patient. Would you agree with me? I mean, if our phone, if it's, if it's, if it's not, you know, we just... Go on, go on. We don't live it. It's very difficult. Patience is a very difficult thing to, to create in our time, but it's something that God is absolutely committed to. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentle, self-control. The ability to exhibit those five through eight fruit are directly related to our ability to learn to inhibit the immediate responses. And those responses, we, we don't unlearn them very quickly. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for your word. And you don't gloss things over. You don't make things look pretty. It's real. If we're going to walk the path that Jesus walked, it's going to mean that we're going to run into things. We're going to have unwelcome circumstances and unwanted feelings are going to be within us. And it's hard to deal with these. We feel something's wrong. And you tell us nothing's wrong. It's part of the road. Would you help us to experience forgiveness, to make room for it, knowing that you're not angry with us? And then would you, as we deeply apply and learn to come to you that gradually give us the ability to give it, because that's what patience is about, getting and giving. In Jesus' name, amen.